Welcome back to the iHealth channel, iHealth Radio, with your host, Eric Nage. New day, new show. Uh, a very interesting topic, an awesome topic, an important topic uh, that I think we all experience some of it somehow, somewhere in our lives. And uh, it is a topic of, you know, abuse, but but from narcissism. And we hear that word a lot. We Sometimes we are, we are with people that may have this particular syndrome, and I call it a syndrome, you know, or or a behavior. But but you know, I think everybody's experienced someone in their life, and if you haven't, you're a lucky one. So <laughs> so I would say that. But but wouldn't we have an expert who actually is a voice, uh, you know, uh, for you know uh, people against this type of abuse and 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 folks that are you know with this type of personality uh, and behavior. So so without any further ado, with me, I have Dana S. Diaz. Dana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am very excited to be here because I think it's really important to talk to people about the mind-body connection. Um, I actually am an unfortunate expert in narcissistic abuse because I lived it. I'm a survivor of it, um, both in childhood and in my former marriage, which was a relationship that lasted 25 years. So the first 45 years of my life, I was abused by narcissists. Um, but I think it's really important for people to understand my experience and what many people do experience, which is not just the mental aspects of the depression, the anxiety, the PTSD, and all these things that anybody who's in an abusive situation will likely endure, but also the physical manifestations of that stress. Um, because in my case, it turned, you know, my body ended up going autoimmune and I ended up with a lung disease that I never knew could happen just because somebody was mistreating me to put it lightly. So I'm really focused now since I've been out of those situations for the last three years, just on however I can make people aware of the reality of um, you know, being in a situation, whether it's with a coworker, a family member, a spouse, it could be your parent or your child. It's unfortunate, but we really have to be aware of how our bodies are reacting to the mental stress that we're enduring so that we can, you know, make sure to take care of ourselves before, you know, th this reality of stress killing you, you know, comes into play. Wow. <laughs> well, well, thank you. I mean, first of all, uh, you, it's amazing that you've endured for a period of time, and it's not a small period of time. And you had it a couple times, whereby yeah. you just as you get out of one, you get into another one, and that is difficult, you know. And and it is, you know. And I'm gonna ask you because based on your expertise, you know, were there any signs for these individuals? Now, I get it. The stepfather is one thing because it's not your choice. You know, right. you you just happen to be in, in a world with someone else that was brought into your life. That's different. That was not a choice that you made. But right. on the relationship side, that was your choice. And, you know, so, so let's talk about the first part, you know, like what we can tell people who have a similar situation. Mom gets somebody, you know, that comes home and then this person happens to be narcissist. And by the way, this is if you had this, I'm sure that your mom went through it as well. So it's it's actually, oh, or if you have siblings that probably had the same problem, so that's 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 on its own, and I know that's pretty good reality for a lot of people watching and listening, and not only in the states, right. I think worldwide, it is happening. And then we can, you know, I guess, go into the discussion about your personal relationship and 
not only how you missed it up front and how you stayed through it, because that's 25 years is a long time, you know. And so so let's talk about the first one. You, obviously, you had no choice. You know, your mom decided that this is a, a person for her. They joined, you know, now you are in one household. You know, so so were there any signs for this particular person, uh, you know, the stepfather? Yeah. That, that was clear? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was a child, so I didn't know what a narcissist was. I just knew. I mean, it's funny because I remember the the, the moment that I met this man. I did not like him at all. I I saw past the the smiling and the trying to you know impress me with little stuffed animals and things. He was fake. You know, he was one way in front of an audience. And he was a different way behind closed doors. And, you know, even as young as I was, I was very aware of it. And I was also very, very feisty and very uh, vocal <laughs> as a child. So I did stand up for myself, but that's when the physical consequences would come in, you know, and those would start very little and increase with time. And as I got older, but certainly it, it wasn't just this, um, facade that he put on for people to see the show I always said it was like a show he put on the show for everybody everyone thought he was funny amazing charming um he was not at home um what my mother endured I can't speak to I did witness definitely verbal stuff you know a lot of demeaning and and um control a lot of control um but he was also one of these overt narcissists that he had to have praise and admiration from everybody. You know, when he bought a new car, I remember it was a Sunday morning and he's honking the horn, driving down the street at this early hour, just so everybody would look out their window and think, who is this, you know, jackass driving down the street this early on a Sunday morning, honking their horn. But everybody looked out their window and saw him. So he got what he wanted. He got the attention. Um, so it was little things like that. That's what I saw from a child's perspective. And as I got older, I got wiser and I would call him out on it, you know, and, and narcissists don't like when you see through them. So, you know, that was a problem. And like I said, there was increased uh, severity of the physical consequence as I got older. Um, but when you're a child, it's hard because, you know, like my mother you know, to back this up, we can get a, unravel all of this. I was an unwanted teenage pregnancy. So I'm not even sure she really wanted children, honestly, because she had her tubes tied immediately after I was born and she was only 17. So there was a lot of emotional detachment from her as well. So when I would go to her, you know, from the first incident to the last and say, this is what he said. This is what I did. You know, let me show you the hand marks. Let me show you the bruises. She was one of these that said, that's just how she, he is, you know, maybe if you didn't upset him, she would sort of turn it around on me that I was to blame and she would enable, excuse and tolerate. So I suspect there was stuff going on with them, but I can't speak to that, you know, as a witness to it, but um, certainly she submitted to him and, and allowed him to control and dominate her. Um, so it, it basically was kind of pitting us against each other, my mother and I, so it was them. And then there was me. And then when they, my mother actually had a, a 
a few procedures to reverse her tubal ligation because I was not his biological child and it was made very clear to me that I was deficient in not being his child. So they decided to have their own. And the irony is to address something that you did speak about, you know, my my brother is now what, 33 or 34 years old. I'm 48 where there's 14 years between us roughly. They raised him completely differently because they wanted him. And he was of the right, I always say he was of the right breed. He has his dad's blood, I don't. Um, and he also is, like my mother, very submissive and allows the control and allows the domination. So it's like we had two completely different childhoods. Um, and that's a little disturbing, but that's a typical scapegoat golden child situation. Um, but definitely it set me up, you know, when you grow up like that, being told every day that you're a burden, you're a bother, I shouldn't have to pay for another man's child, all these terrible things that you should not say to a little girl. You know, I certainly knew it was wrong and I stood up for myself and, and you know, I told him exactly what I thought of him, but I still unfortunately internalized it because when that's all you're hearing and even your own mother is sort of supporting that narrative in her own way or negate, you know, she was negating my experience and my reality um, and my internalization of it, you know, it, it's hard not to kind of feed into it. So I would have very low self-esteem and, you know, even struggled sometimes with why am I here? What am I even doing here? What is my purpose? If nobody wanted me here and I was never meant to be, why then am I here? You know, so it, it was very hard, but then I leave their house thinking never again, I'm tough. I'm not going to do this again. And what happens is, I'm a people pleaser. I'm a codependent. I am looking for somebody to attach to that's going to give me that little bit of love that I'm starving for. And that's when I meet another narcissist. Although there's quite a bit to unpack there. <laughs> Before yes. we get to the second phase, because <laughs> you've covered quite a bit there. I think there's a lot of stuff that our audiences yeah. can benefit from in, in this type of you know discussion. Mm -hmm. One is, I love what you said. I mean, you know, he came into this life. First, he had a whole facade to him. And uh, obviously, in the public, that's that's who he is. But then internally, it was a whole different thing. But I mean, I don't want to put a blame on your mom. But but the fact of the matter, I mean, there is some of that as well. Because normally, a mom will always cover for their for, for her children, no matter yep. what. She's, she's the, the, you know, <laughs> mama bear, right? Yeah. She's going to take care of kids. But, but in this situation, there is that. And by the way, this is not... It's not unheard of. We've seen them, you know, we've heard about these stories. We even had, you know, we have movies that were depicting these types of right. situations over and over over the years to just show these these realities that people are going through. And, you know, you were still a very, you know, young girl. And the fact of the matter, as you said, you, there's nothing you can do. It's not like you're going to fight. You can be vocal. You can be feisty. You can be, you know, uh, just, just loud about it. But you had no power, no authority. You like you said, I mean, there's right. some punishment level and that got worse and worse. Now I do have a question about that. The, the, you know, because mm -hmm. I know, I mean, we're in, in, in the modernized world, I was a civilized world to a degree whereby there's other people that watch any signs of abuse. And so was there any indicators to anyone at school somewhere that could have flagged, you know, some of this stuff that could have, because I can tell you if that would ever happen, then things may have been different because 
you know, they will, they're dispatched, you know, child services and things like that. And those things happen. I don't know if it happened or not, but I do know yeah. it can happen, you know, and, and yeah. you know, yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. I mean, it was hard to hide some of the stuff. Um, I would often get pulled out of class and taken to the nurse's office and they have this lovely piece of paper for, for those who have not had to endure this with just a very general outline of a human body. And the nurse would, you know, have me pull up my sleeves and everything and, and she would have to mark on this paper, you know, the date and my name and where I had a scratch, a bruise, a handprint, whatever, you know, the the evidence was. Um, but then it was just put away in my school file. Nobody got called, um, no child services, nobody called my mother, nobody called anybody. Um, I was just put back in class and sent back home and they had a record. Um, now, fast forwards when I was, I believe I was 16, um, there was an incident um, where honestly, I thought I was going to die. I, I was strangled and first straddled and, and slapped and punched and, and what have you, um, held down by my wrists and everything. Um, it was just awful. But then it was actually my mother who put her hands around my neck and strangled me and I blacked out. I thought I thought she was going to kill me. I could not pry her fingers from my neck, but I did realize my legs were free. Um, so before I, I lost consciousness, I did kick her. And fortunately, um, I she released me and I just ran down the stairs and, and got the hell out of that house. Um, I just ran. I had nowhere that I was going. It was nighttime. It was a weeknight. Um, but I just ran and, and I, I don't even remember. It's very blurry, but you know, at some point, somebody that I, a classmate of mine that knew me, um, saw me just randomly running down the street, hysterically sobbing, um, and asked if they could take me somewhere. They didn't ask what happened. Thank God, because, you know, it's a very shameful thing to, be in that situation and have to admit it. And it, it, it was just so traumatizing. I, you know, you just don't want to get into it with the first person that comes along, but I was taken to a friend's house um, where I safely uh, spent the night, went to school the next day and, and, and the cops met me at school. Um, I was questioned, child services was involved, but, you know, I'm in the process of, of writing my next book, which is about all this. And I, I liken the whole scene at the, at the police station to, if anyone ever remembers the movie, Annie, where these two imposters, Lily and Rooster come to claim their daughter, Annie, and they're so sad and tearful. And, and, and you know, it was just such a farce, the, the show that my mother and stepfather put on you know, pretending that I'd just run away and there I was this difficult daughter that they just didn't know what to do with. And child services did question the people that worked for them because they, they have a business. Um, they did question some neighbors and everybody said what lovely and charitable and great people they are. Um, so I was told that I could either go home to them or I could go somewhere else. And that somewhere else, um, you know, with without a, a, let's say, a juvenile home, so to speak, in our area, um, the somewhere else that I was given the option of was a mental facility 
um, where they had a floor for teenagers. I opted to go there because there was no way in heck I was going back to that house with them. Um, but unfortunately, I was only there for a month because that's how long the insurance uh, would cover before I was released. But um, it was a that even that was traumatizing. My roommate there was a 12 year old girl who had she was in there because she stabbed her best friend to death. You know, so I go from one unsafe, very, you know, feeling very vulnerable situation to another where I had to sleep with an eye open at night. But I'm very fortunate that the people there saw my situation for what it was. And in fact, it's not even funny, but there was somebody there that I knew. And it was another classmate from my high school that had disappeared a month before. Nobody knew what happened to him. Nobody knew where he went. Nobody could get a hold of him. And there he was the next morning when I went to breakfast, there he was. And I said, what happened? Why are you here? And it was a similar situation. Uh, his mother lied to the police. Um, he had a situation with her being drunk and was trying to protect her from harming herself. And, uh, she decided, I guess that's what people with a little bit of money do is they put their kids in mental facilities as punishment instead of grounding them. But at least I had somebody there who, um, you know, we could kind of lean on each other for support. But even the doctors and the staff there, you know, were very aware that, you know, we, we were clearly victims um, and not necessarily there because, I mean, certainly there were things to work through, but um, not to the extent to some of the, you know, other people that I was going to say inmates, but the patients that were there, but it felt like a prison because this is, you know, it's a very scary situation to go from my mother just tried to kill me last night to you're supervised in the bathroom and you're supervised when you're eating and you can't have pens or shoelaces or anything sharp, you know, that you might hurt somebody with and you can't make phone calls and you can't, you know, it's very restrictive. So to come out of a narcissistic abusive situation where everything's controlled and restricted to another, you know, at least I guess I was used to it to some extent, but um, it, it was a very hard situation. It was a rough phase of my life, but that certainly uh, clinched it for me that I knew when I was 18 and, and legally able, I was walking out the door. I was, I was not going to remain with my mother in her home with him. I, I don't know where to, to go know. from here. It, it's, it's, it's really too much, but, but you know, yeah. that you had to endure and, and you're actually sharing not only, I mean, your story is the main, but, but even through here, you, you've covered a couple of stories within, you know, your friends or at least your colleagues or your, you know, schoolmates who had similar, yeah. you know, dilemma. And by the way, you were mentioning the age of 16 here. So, and, and you also stated early on that you were, uh, I guess a, a child of a pre your teenage pregnancy. And so, so, so now we can talk about this, you know, for a minute, which is, it is a phenomenon right. that's happening more and more. There are a lot more teenagers with kids yeah. and, and it's unfortunate because, you know, are they, you know, capable, are children capable of having children? And that's a fact, you know, I mean, I, yes, they, you know, society can say they can, there's a lot of support and so on and so forth. That's the, maybe the financial piece, maybe, you know, some, that the system has some of these, you know, conduits, 
but it's not there's no emotional support there is no protection when it comes to like you know like in the case of stepfather or the mental status of it because the fact that you're always going to be reminded that you know my daughter you know i don't have to raise somebody that is not mine you were not you were not want you were unwanted you know you were a mistake i mean that in itself, I can guarantee you if we have, and, and you did, did it go, you know, to, to a psychiatry or mental <laughs> clinic, you know, literally, you know, yeah. for which that's, I'm going to talk about that too, because that drives me nuts. But the idea that first you went, you know, with bruises and no one did anything about it the first time or early on. I mean, to me, that's, that's mind boggling because the fact of the matter, you know, we all hear that if you were even to touch a child, you know, in, and they have things, they don't have to talk to you. They'll, they'll dispatch child services to the home. They do the investigation stuff, but you're right. right. They camouflage it well. And I get, you know, I get the concept. They're the adults. So you're the, the child. Maybe you are just, you know, hallucinating or delusional, whatever the word <laughs> would be used, you know, so that played, you know, to their favor. But then, you know, at 16, this was clearly, you know, you were out running out. And of course, they can say she had a fit. She left. I mean, it's your word against mm -hmm. theirs. I mean, I, I'm sure that's what, what transpired. What I don't exactly. get is the fact is that you were not able to find another home. I mean, they could have offered foster care, for example, right? You know, and that, that wasn't an option. I mean, for you to, to be given the only other formality is a mental health thing and being, I guess, preview to a world that you shouldn't have because i mean it is not a picnic as you said it does you know from what we see at least from from documentaries and, and shows and things like that i mean these places they do look i mean like like got the asylum <laughs> you know they're very yeah. you know doors closed you know bars you know uh padded in the rooms yeah. And, high so, security. I mean, yeah i mean it's high security so i mean you 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 mentioned the word inmate i mean it's not a big difference between one or the <laughs> other and the risk no. is just as equal because you still can get you know you never know who's there i mean for mentally someone could be challenged and they not they may not even be able so putting you there i mean to me that would have been putting you in harm anyways but but again i'm not an expert yeah. and i guarantee if we have an expert with us in this discussion and i might you know loop in this into our next show with with dr heim maybe he gives us his insights on this but it is, yeah. it is it is a tough one because you're a child still. I mean, 16. I mean, people don't, you know, he would say, we don't even get our front lobe ready until 25. So at 16, you're completely clueless, a exactly. lot of things. And you are afraid. You have nowhere to go. And this is where the system is taking you. I mean, for people that are watching and listening, folks, you know, first of all, if you're a teenager. I mean, maybe it's, it is smart not to have kids, one. Because you can prevent a lot of this stuff from happening originally, right? But if it happens, you know, know that also they will suffer and that's not a good idea because here's the thing. You are a true testament of where, a, you know, this can happen and it's serious. It's not easy. You were subjected to a lot of stuff and I can I can, I can just imagine the pressure, the, the mental status on it, the mental, you know, uh, pressure that you have and you have to deal with this and you have to absorb all this stuff. Not everybody is capable of taken i mean you could have ended your life literally and we, we hear stories about yeah. teenage suicide many people just get overwhelmed they don't know what to do and they do something that is that you know right that really you know uh end of life kind of concept and extreme so so you know i'm glad that you actually made it through i mean at least for, well, <laughs> we, we said we have we have the second phase and we're going to talk about that but but really it is it is your story is a story you know that that can affect a lot of folks out there and, and listen folks i mean we, if you bring a kid to the world, you have to be responsible for that kid. I mean, that's all there is. Listen, I'm a father, and listen, I I do believe in, 
you know, discipline and so on and so forth. That's one thing, but not abuse. I do believe in, in, you know, family stuff. And by the way, I had stepchildren personally, and I'm still in a good relationship with them, you know, just to give you an example. Right. Um, but, but it is, it is, you know, fortunate to see like it was that extreme, right. You know, in where this was yeah. totally narcissism and, and, you know, and abusive and all the stuff didn't make sense. Um, it's it's sad to hear it, but it's reality, and a lot of people are going through it. Maybe someone out there can see the light and can see at least the signs, and maybe prevent something of this happening to their children. You know, uh, whatever the case may be. And frankly, if you can't raise your kids, maybe someone else can. You know, at least they'll, they'll offer them you know a better life. And so that's yeah. the other part. I mean, there are a lot of ways of, of dealing with this. Any, I hate to interject, but that's no, no, at please. any age because I think there's even. I know some young mothers and they love their babies very much. My mother just didn't want me. And and if you don't want a child, I don't care if you're 17 or 27 or 37, You there are so many people, there are so many women who are unable to have their own biological child that would take that baby and love it and raise it like it was their own. And it would be such a better situation for that child. But, you know, (laughs) that's a thing. And, and the other part of it is what my experience was, you know, we have to remember that was back then. I mean, teachers could still smoke at recess with the kids around and kids were beating each other up in front of, you know, it was just a different time. So I feel like there was a lot more that was accepted that wouldn't be accepted now. So maybe the system works better now, but um, it did not work for me. Well, I, you're referring to the 90s, I'm assuming, right? And and I, I have to say, I mean, there were. I was born in the 70s. No, well, well, I guess I guess that's the 80s, right? You know, when you're yeah, 16. growing up in the 80s, yeah. All right, so yeah, um, yeah, maybe you're right. <laughs> it was a little free for all. Part of that. <laughs> it, it was still up for that. I mean, that's true. The 90s, I know they started getting a little tougher and things like that. Because I, I can tell you a story. This happened, you know, where. Um, you know, uh, my stepdaughter, you know, um, she hit a door literally <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, th- the child services were dispatched to the home and, oh uh, and, and they came and they investigated. I mean, it, we didn't, we didn't even know they didn't just, they showed up, you know? And so I can tell you this was in the nineties and they were still, you know, they were aware of things and they had situation control and so when they see something that, and then this was literally that's exactly what happened there was no lie to it we didn't make it up it just happened to be a simple accident but for them right. they needed to, to investigate they sent a social worker home you know they did a you know full assessment then they dismissed that there was nothing so i can tell you i've i've seen that happen uh you know in in real life where they do that's why i asked like they should have been dispatched because in yeah. your case it wasn't but again the 80s maybe the services were not as as robust and you're right today you know you wouldn't even breathe if you did something like this you know you'll be you'll be done and they'll remove you from your parents and you know you might even wind up in jail so there's there's a whole different world today so so in a way it's good i mean there's other sometimes the good and the bad get shuffled in this this system and you know sometimes sometimes get the the short end of the stick regardless even if they're good you know it happens to be the wrong way some kids can also abuse that and use it against so there's there's all kind of yeah. stuff i mean you it's one way or the other and and you're right like at that time maybe they didn't believe you like you know you just you just you born you spoiled bread you don't want to deal with the step yeah. so people will turn that against you and it's the adult versus the child right so that also had a different exactly. way then 
So I, I get it. But again, today, though, it's different. And I love what you said, that there are mothers uh, or women that may not have kids. They would love to have kids. They just can't physically have children. And therefore, you know, if you can't, someone can't, you know. Adoption is is legal, yeah. and you can make it correctly, and you can have, and then that person may not have the burden to deal with, you know, an unwanted situation, and maybe prevent them and the child heartache and and you know mental, you know, I guess uh, problems, right? So so it, it is it is something that can happen, and so again, now you you went back after this whole incident. How was that experience? I mean, coming back, it's probably going to be, you're, you're in trouble right now. <laughs> I could just imagine, you know, you coming back home. Ah, you see how it went? You know, I can see a whole picture of like how it happened. <laughs> you know, I mean, it I know was, we, we'll spend some a minute about this. Yeah, it was quiet. Every, nobody had anything to say. I wasn't about to open my mouth and I got a lot of silent treatment throughout my childhood, but I certainly got it then. But the interesting thing was that I think once you're on the radar for child services and at the school and now other parents, you know, I spent the night at a friend's house. Now the other parents know. So sort of being on the radar. Oh, careful. Nothing happened again. Sure. Well, that, so, thank, thank God. So it had to happen for it to stop, you know. Well, so I have a question for you. How did that impact your school? you know, academic, you know, academic, you know, level, because I mean, if you are not hundred percent and dealing with all this, how <laughs> your school, I mean, I know there's going to be an impact. You're not going to be focused. You're going to have, I mean, that's the other thing. Like yeah. no one picked it up. That's, that's, that's tough. <laughs> and you're right, but I'm going to just be honest and, and without sounding conceited or like a slacker, but like I never already. Go really for it. tried. <laughs> Even at even in first grade, they wanted to move me up to third grade because I was too smart. I was one of those kids in class that when when you know this you know Bobby had to read the paragraph and he can't say a word and he can't read you know as fast as I could, I would get impatient. So you know, I was that jerk of a kid that's like, "Come on, Bobby, this is the word, spit it out." But That's good. That's good I news. Never had to, yeah, I never had to try too hard. So it was hard to focus, but I never had to try too hard. I just always did very well on tests and always did very well. I was on a roll and, you know, I I, I didn't have to try too hard. Thank goodness for that. Um, but yes, it was hard mentally a lot of times, especially in high school when this stuff was happening you've got hormones going on, you have this stuff going on at home. Um, there were times where I was just crying so much that teachers would pull me out of class and say, what is going on? You can't be in class crying like this. And, you know, they would send me to the nurse and the nurse would tell me to go lay down and relax and calm down <laughs> or just tell me to go home. And I would, and I would, you know, just go to my room and kind of isolate myself. But that's really where the focus and where the effect was with me. But I could see where somebody who did have to try harder academically would look because I, I couldn't even think about the academics. I just was one of those kids that I'd show up in class. Oh, we have a test. Okay, I'll take the test. And I did well. But um, I, I if think, I, I think... didn't have that ability, it would have probably been a big issue. Well, I think that ability is also maybe a result of you from a childhood being compensated, I guess, 
And because that, that could be the case too. I mean, again, I can't judge that. I mean, uh, we'll no, have definitely. to have somebody. Yeah. I was an overachiever because I was trying to get approval constantly. I was trying to get approval. Nothing was ever good enough to them, but nothing was ever good enough to me. I had to do everything perfectly. I had to score the top test. When I was playing viola, I had to be first chair, not just in one orchestra, two orchestras. I had to get the solo. I had to be the top because something would have to impress my mother and my stepfather and make them love me. But at this point, I'm 48. And I've decided that I could win the Nobel Peace Prize and they will not be impressed. <laughs> so I give up. Uh, I'm okay with who I am. I'm good. I'm not trying to seek their approval. But when you're a child, you always want you always want your parents to think, you know, give you some praise and encouragement and support. But it was never going to happen with me. I had to be the nothing that they thought I was. For them to feel okay with what they were doing to me is what I've summed up. So I have a question. You did mention your sibling, who is who is not a kid. I mean, he's old enough. Uh, you know, is there a relationship that you have together, or it's it's kind of cut off because of the family feud? I've basically been exiled from every family. There, the, some of my mother's family. Um, you know, my grandma, my godmother, um, some cousins that are aware. Um, and I don't even like to say it this way, but that, you know, see how I have been villainized and victimized. Um, they absolutely are in my life. But most other family has subscribed to this narrative that my mother and stepfather continue to perpetuate you know, which is that I don't know what I'm talking about. Nothing I said ever happened. You know, my my entire reality is, is delusional and, and so on and so forth. Um, so we are not, we, we are completely estranged. My brother, um, we tried, I, you know, he is mature and, and very well educated and very reasonable. Um, I'm very proud of him, and I'm very thankful, most importantly, that he did not endure what I did, because that was my concern when they brought this baby home, was what business do these people have with a baby? But thank God they raised him like parents should raise a child. So he thinks they're the best parents ever. I did not have that experience. We have tried to have a relationship regardless of our parents. Um, but unfortunately, the, you know, it, it's a typical narcissistic tendency to hit people against each other. Narcissists want you on their side and they don't have the mental um, capacity to allow somebody the freedom or space to associate with the person they don't, you know, want them to. So which would be me in this case. So, you know. Let's put it this way. In the last year, I have had two text messages from my brother, one on Christmas and one on my birthday. Merry Christmas. Happy birthday. Thank you. That's our relationship. Well, listen, I mean, it, it is a tough one. You're basically an only child. And so, I mean, there's a way to look at I'm it. I'm basically yeah. an orphan. Oh, well, actually, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean. I I I couldn't go there, but, yeah. but you no, can. I hear you. <laughs> you know, but 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 certainly, you know, um, 
Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, listen, I'm an only child, so I can tell you sometimes it's a benefit, you know, because you don't have to deal yeah. with with that those sentiments and like you have to wonder. <laughs> you know, I don't have an experience in it, so I, I can tell you, like, you know, my kids, you know, they have sitting their siblings. I I cannot even relate to them because I don't know what it looks like to have a sibling, right, or what it feels. So I, I can right. I can relate to that. So I, I mean, sometimes I do say to to you know to myself, I was lucky because I didn't have you know that but sometimes i think i'm not lucky because like sometimes like my kids well there's no uncle for us right well they do have an uncle and not from the mom's side but not from my side right so it kind of it's a weird thing but you know it it is it is unique but i learned to live on my own and and have uh, good people in my life that that kind of compensate you know for for that missed you know opportunity of brotherhood sisterhood so i have that you know but it's just you find it elsewhere in the cousins and friends and you know and you sometimes you get luckier believe it or not so because i've seen even again siblings can have problems too so i agree a hundred percent i i love my brother but you know i i one thing i have learned in this life is that you cannot force somebody to be somebody they don't want to be my mother did not want to be my mother she wanted to be my brother's mother you know and that applies to any relationship but i agree with you i have come to terms with that there are other people in my life who choose to love me and accept me and think I'm perfectly wonderful exactly as I am and I don't have to please them or prove anything to them and they have no biological obligation to love me so that's even better than having your mother's love because yeah your mother's supposed to love you even serial killers have their mothers sitting behind them in court even after they dismembered 12 bodies because that's their kid and they love them and that's what motherhood should be and you know it's just not that way for everybody but there's always somebody i i'm very fortunate i have grandma i have my godmother and they're like the two mothers in my life and yeah, I have, you know, a cousin who is more like a big brother to me. And I'm just so fortunate to have so many people in my life that are, are, you know, that, that provide that family that I need. They just may not be biologically related. So, so an interesting question, um, you know, so ultimately you you, you, you got into your adulthood 18, you know, luckily you made it. And you left the, I guess, the, the nest, <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or or whatever, or the the hell, <laughs> whichever yeah. definition you want to refer yeah. to. But 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 now you are free in a way. Um, yeah. And so so but but in a way you were not free because what you were looking for is to compensate, and you know so you looked for love elsewhere, and here comes your next problem, <laughs> and and yeah. you know and and. Probably almost equal, a little bit even longer than than your first phase, you know, with somebody yes. else. Now, this is not a a blood person. This is a stranger that comes to your life. Which relationship? That's what they are. Two strangers meet and they make the best of a relationship. They become almost blood. You know, um, yes. in in your case, you had all the signs in your first childhood. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe it's different because you seen a stepfather in a way. It's different seeing a different man, you might not have recognized the same signs. I think that could be one. And again, I'm not the expert. We can defer that to someone. And please interject. If you see the show, watch the show, and you have psychiatry expertise, please chime in and give us some advice, give our audiences some feedback here because I'm clueless. But the idea is I can tell that you, you, and it's not just you. This happens all the time. 
We have one problem. Oh, yeah. We seek the solution somewhere else. And the first person that opens the arms, we, we jump in and boom. And now we're stuck, you know, because we don't know what it is. And sometimes you are unable to, to see that it's not the right fit because you're so want, you so badly wanted to happen and to succeed, to be it, that you don't want to see all the signs and stuff. Is that what happened to you? It is and it isn't. I saw everything right from the get-go. I met him. Within a few seconds, they say you judge a person. And my first thought when I met him was, oh, my gosh, he reminds me of my stepfather. No, thank you. But, because <laughs> I mean, the arrogance was there. The entitlement <laughs> was there. He was very aloof. And, you know, I just, it, just the arrogance alone was so off-putting. And it's not like he was like Brad Pitt, like, handsome or anything there was you know there was but I I let's just put it this way I was desperate I just wanted somebody to love me so when he did show interest after that initial meeting I told myself maybe I'm being too judgmental maybe it's me if I if I give it a shot, it doesn't, you know, I always tell people, you don't have to marry him, just go out on the date. Yeah, well, I, I did. And I did marry him. <laughs> but even from the beginning, I mean, from the get go, that first, everything was off. It was all wrong. I just kept, I, I basically turned into my mother. I was enabling, excusing and tolerating. Well, maybe he had a bad day. That's why he had the angry outburst. Maybe if I didn't push him or say that or do this, he might be more pleased with me and not react so badly. Maybe, but the difference, because there's different types of narcissists. My ex-husband was a covert narcissist. So he would do what they call love bombing. He knew exactly what to say and do to make me feel very special and make me feel, I felt like I was on top of the world, very in love, all the butterflies. And, you know, there were some beautiful moments. I look back now, though, and realize they were fake because when, when I didn't do something right, and sometimes I had nothing to do with something, but everything was blamed on me because here again, I was the scapegoat for all that was wrong in his life. It was bad, but it was a love-hate, whereas in my childhood, they just did not want any part of me. There was no love whatsoever there, not even like, whereas at least here, I was getting love, and then sometimes I wasn't, but then I would write it out because then I would get love again, and I hate to say it was like training a dog. I knew what to do to get the love, and I knew what not to do. <laughs> you know, and so forth. So it was kind of like creating these unspoken rules. Um, and we'll we'll call that manipulation because that's generally what that is. Um, but I did go along with it because I met his parents within the first week. He had me meeting his parents. I was moved in um, in just over a month and his parents were the loveliest people you could ever meet. And I think looking back, I fell in love with his parents more than I fell in love with him. And I honestly, after meeting them and seeing what, what just, they were just the nicest, they were like beaver cleaver nice. They, they were just perfect. And I thought there is no way my perception of him is right because these two people could not have possibly created the monster 
that I think I'm with. So I had all this self-doubt going on. And of course, he's using, you know, gaslighting and all these manipulative tactics to make me think that it's me. And 25 years later, there we were and, and nothing had changed. It had only gotten worse. So, yeah, I stayed because there were still good times in there. There was still what looked like love. Whether it was love or not, I'm not sure. I don't think so. But um, I was just one of the, you know, I, I just wanted that forever. I think we all do. I wanted stability and I wanted security. And even if that stability meant, you know, being in a situation where it, it was just intermittent, it was better than what I had in my childhood. And it was enough for me, at least in the beginning. So, Dana, I mean, you were 20. I, I did the math. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you were 20. So technically, you didn't have a lot of room. I was 19, yeah. But okay. yeah, just yeah. going on 20. So, yeah. So, so well, I mean, I tried. Because <laughs> you said yeah, three years. And close. More or less, yeah. So, Still so, very I, young, though. Exactly. So so you you really didn't have any form or, or role model that, that you were, you know, connect with. Because everything you've experienced was hard. And as you said, you know, here's the same sign, but, you know, here's the parents that look good, they feel good. You know, there's some, a it was a different version of narcissism, if you want to call it that. It was like a raw one, yeah. and this is like a moderate version <laughs> or like a camouflage version, right? So right. so it's it's kind of weird, you know, but but in essence, you had like almost, now, someone could say, well, maybe because you've experienced that, all you saw is that. Is that a possibility? Or, or it wasn't really what it is? It was not. Oh, no, it was really what it was. And, uh, you know, all I can say, it's very hard to unravel that whole 25 year experience, but um, it absolutely was. And and I didn't even recognize it, unfortunately, until almost the end. Um, you know, but I, I wrote a book about my experiences and it's very disturbing to me how many people have been able to relate to it because narcissists tend to operate the same way. Um, but again, it was somebody that needed, I think he had a deep seated insecurity himself um, that he felt less than he did not feel good enough in his own childhood. Um and so he sought to to feel to fulfill his ego and feel that sense of importance that he wanted to feel by dominating me and controlling me and, and you know kind of manipulating me into these situations where I would then be praising him and dependent on him for whatever you know. So it it was definitely and and there was a lot of abuse there. I mean, with narcissism, like I said. I had some sexual abusive experiences with him. Um, there was financial abuse, legal abuse. Um, you know, it, there was so much. There was domestic violence. So he basically, all in all, wanted to instill fear in me that if I leave or if I tell anybody what he is doing behind closed doors, there's going to be a consequence. And by the end of our 25 years, he, the consequence was death. He wanted me dead. And I have emails and I have voicemails and I have text messages that prove that. And I had to provide those in court three times. I had to go until I was 
finally granted an order of protection that said that he had to stay 10 feet away from me, but he was stalking me. He was showing up at my house at night. Um, just, it was a very, very disturbing situation. Narcissist or not, it, it was not a situation I would ever want anybody to be in. Was he ever open to maybe seeing a doctor and, you know, or he was not open to even the idea that he was, you know, in a narcissistic, you know, way. I mean, I guess that's, the, that's the first rule, right? You never, you're never wrong as a narcissist. It's you, everybody exactly. else is wrong by you. I guess. Exactly. I've had many people say, how do I know I'm not the narcissist? And my answer is, if you even ask yourself that question, you're not the narcissist because the narcissist won't even think that the narcissist doesn't care. The, the, the disturbing thing, I think people don't realize narcissists literally have no empathy and no remorse. They feel 100% justified in what they're doing. They Their moral compass tells them that it's okay to be treating other human beings this way. And somehow it is the fault of the victim. That is, I mean, you can call it whatever you want. It is a mental health problem. It is a psychotic disorder. It is antisocial. And I mean, let's be real. Over 20% of the male prison population in the U.S. today are males with narcissistic personality disorder. Now, are they going to go and get diagnosed? No. If you try to get any narcissist to go to any therapist of any kind, the only kind you'll usually find them in is at, at the marriage counselor. And their only reason for going there is to make sure that you look as crazy and, and, and that, you know, they need to be the victim. They want a witness that, you know, they're going to sit there and provoke you so that you, you know, they call it reactive abuse, but they want you to react in a certain way so that now a therapist, a marriage counselor is going to say, oh, you can't treat somebody that way. And, and I had that experience, except I was not abusive in the marriage counseling. It's just that he was putting on, again, the show the fake tears, you know, saying things that weren't true at all. But I just sat there and listened because I wasn't going to defend myself. I got to a point where, you know, with all these narcissists, there's nothing you can say or do that's going to change their perspective or change their mind. You are not going to convince them to treat you any better or that you deserve better or that you're worth more. They don't care. And as a matter of fact, the most recent narcissist in my life which is a former friend and, and former for sure. Um, our last interaction, um, she actually said to me, she screamed it, but she said, I don't even feel bad for all the things I've done to you. And let me tell you, she has wreaked havoc in my life. So these are not people who, you know, you and I, we have a conscience we would feel badly about causing somebody pain, whether intentional or not. We would feel badly about, you know, I mean, let's talk about domestic violence, even, you know, bringing knives and guns into a situation. Most people are not going to do that. So when these people, when I say they have no empathy and no remorse, these are people that truly have no bounds and the rules don't apply to them and the law doesn't apply to them. And that's when they get scary. You know, I mean, first of all, you you said something that's scary. I, I, 
in its own. You know, after multiple court dates, whatever, the judgment is only 10 feet away. I mean, that's that's like being across the street from me right now. I mean, on the hallway. It's not it's, even. Yeah. I mean, 10 feet is, is you know, I could reach her in 10 feet. I mean, <laughs> you know, I know. It's, it's, it's as bad as it gets. I mean, really. But I mean, it's been three years. So luckily nothing happened. And, you know, he's been gone and you've moved on. But I mean, 25 years of enduring this. I mean, it is. <laughs> I, listen, I, I don't know what to tell you. Obviously, you suffered through it. And, uh, you know, you said, I mean, there's there's sexual abuse, there's physical abuse. And, you know, again, I still can't get my, my, my head around the idea that, you know, the law and the system didn't do anything to protect you, you know, from the first, you know, instance. And, and on the flip side, we hear all these situations where if you touch someone, I mean, we talked about rape, we talked about certain things in different shows, and it's very clear if you cross that line, I mean, you can be in trouble very easily. And in your case, you know, he was able to get away with literally, you know, close to murder. <laughs> you know, it's, so, it's amazing. Yes, he all, yes, exactly. Now, in our situation, and this is very common with victims of abuse or domestic violence, you're too scared to report. You're not going to tell the authorities, never mind your sister or your mother or, you know, the lady at church what's going on, because you are terrified. If they find out, I mean... Yeah, I was concerned going home after, you know, the mental health facility when I was a teenager. But if I go and report, you know, that my husband with a gun or a knife or whatever he was doing and the police come knocking or I file a report. Oh, heck no. I'm not playing with that. My I was afraid. So I never made a report. And my son, our son, but I say mine, um, he didn't see, he didn't witness half of the stuff that went on in that house. Thank goodness. But based on what he did see when he was roughly 13, 14 years old, out of nowhere, we were just driving uh, home one night. And he said, mom, will you promise me something? I said, sure, of course. And he said, I know you're going to divorce dad one day. He said, do not divorce him until I'm off to college because he said he's going to make life a living hell and I don't want to be here for it. And, you know, I didn't want to put my son through that either, because when you are dealing with somebody that is violent and, and you know, does think he's above the law, you don't want your children to be a part of that. So I just I mean, it, it was a countdown for me. Just get through, just get through, you know, and people say, why did you stay? Why did you stay? Well, one, I was afraid to leave. Two, I was staying because I thought I was being a good mother, giving my son both his parents, you know, I mean, you don't get married to get divorced. There's all kinds of things. Your families are intertwined. You build a life together, all this stuff. But I was just trying to get through until my son was off to college, done with high school. And then that was it done, gone, end of story. But unfortunately, um, you know, things just progressively got worse. And once COVID hit and we were stuck in the same house together and things escalated even more, <laughs> that was an interesting time. Um, I was very sure by the text messages and the emails um, and, and just our, our verbal interactions that I, I, I was very sure he was going to try to do something to me and make it look like an accident to the point where I was reporting to a friend 
by, I think it was 8 or 9 a.m. every single day. And her instruction was that if she didn't hear from me to call the police because it was him and make sure it was him. And I also started keeping a journal and I kept it hidden under the couch cushion in the basement because I moved to the basement also. I don't want to be anywhere near this man because um, I wanted to have some record of what was going on. But yes, the authorities failed me again because even though I had never called the police on him, I'd never filed reports. When we did finally have a situation, and mind you, this is after after COVID and, and the courts reopened, I got the fastest divorce known to man. <laughs> Three weeks. Um, I was divorced, and it was actually over a month after the divorce. Um, that we had two incidences within three nights. One involved a knife um, that he showed up in the middle of the night. Um, and fortunately, my son, well, I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate, but my son got in the middle of it, put me, you know, to protect me, put me in a room and went to deal with his knife yielding father um, and, and got him to go away without incident. But then three nights later, my ex showed up knowing that my son was not there at the house with me that night. And um, he made a scene outside. I ignored it. I wasn't going to engage in this. But then he started shooting a gun outside my bedroom window. And that's I did call the cops. I had six squad cars at my house um, from three different towns. <laughs> And they didn't take him away. And mind you, in the divorce, I didn't want anything but my kid. I didn't care about the house, the cars, the money. I could replace everything but my kid and I. I just wanted my kid. But my ex did not want the house. He, he, you know, they love to do these noble things. So my son could stay in his childhood home through the rest of his high school education, which was good. I was glad for that. But um I was the only one on the deed and title of that home, yet they would not remove him from the property. They would not arrest him. I could not press charges. He was blatantly drunk as well, but they said they couldn't charge him with a DUI or anything because when they arrived, they couldn't find the gun. They couldn't find the shells because it's in the middle of the night and we live out in the country, so it's pitch dark. Um, I was told that I should put up cameras because if I had taken video with my phone or caught anything on camera, they would have evidence that they could do something. And I said, I'm sorry. I was busy on the phone with 911, hysterically sobbing, thinking this man was going to break into my house and kill me. I was not thinking to stand at the window with my phone and take a video of what was going on. And I said, surely in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, women in these situations did not have phones to take video. And surely these men were arrested. And I was told, no, I, they, they couldn't help me. They couldn't remove him. And he would refuse to leave my property. So I had to leave my house that he just shot outside my bedroom window, threatening to kill me. I had to leave my house that night and go somewhere else. It, it, it's just astonishing to me. And then three court dates it took me, three appeals to get that really sad order of protection to stay 10 feet away from me. 
there's, I mean, there's no words to describe. I mean, what you've, your no. ordeal here, because I mean, I'm listening to you. Like, I'm just trying to like, cause, cause you hear different stories about like domestic, you know, violence and how the, the police will deal with it. And I mean, if you scream at someone, you crash something, you can still be arrested yet here. Somebody is discharging a firearm in front of the house and still yet not getting anything. I mean, I don't know, but, but it's, it's, I'm not sure. Maybe it's state to state, you know, it varies. So maybe it it's is. your state. It does vary state to state. And I'm not sure if it varies in different counties as well. Oh, too. Yeah, we're yeah. kind of in a little farm town. It's kind of like the good old guys club sometimes. Whereas I think maybe in a bigger city, like, you know, my dad is my biological father is a retired Chicago cop, you know, they're probably a little more uh, diligent about, you know, paying attention to these things. Um, but it is unfortunate because, you know, in my life, it's a, I mean, thank God I'm I'm here and I'm good. And, and I want to be an example to other women and men, you know, that you, you can overcome anything, you know, certainly there's people that have been in much worse situations, but you know, life can still be good no matter where you came from. But I hate to say the authorities have not done a very good job of protecting me in my life um, as a child or as an adult. Um, but, you know, you just have to make your own way. And I think that's where um, I get a lot of people asking me, you know, about things they can do to protect themselves. And, you know, it is just a matter of, like I said, keeping a record, keeping a journal. I did end up going and you know, Amazon is great, a hundred bucks and you've got a few blink cameras that, you know, take recordings and you get the app on your phone and the ring doorbells. But, you know, you have to remember, we didn't have this stuff 15, 20 years ago. You know, we just have it now. And you never think that you would be in a situation where you have to actually provide proof of that. Um, it's just a shame that true victims like me have to, you know, fall in that category where we're the burden of proof is on us because probably other people in the past have lied about similar of course. similar situations and you know i should be able to just point and say this happened and this is the person that did it and they're taken away especially since my ex had a record already he had been in jail a few times and he had had a dui um you know so he was no uh he was no angel on paper like I am. I know my halo is a little crooked, but you can see it. It's still there. But, <laughs> but you know, it, it's unfortunate that so many people do experience, um, you know, that lack of protection where you think that, you know, the resources are there and you can call somebody for help and that help isn't there. You really do have to fund for yourself sometimes. Uh, like I said, I mean, it's a difficult thing. By the way, I know you, you mentioned something very important. I mean, this goes both ways. I mean, it's not always men versus women. Women can do yeah. the same to men. So so for people that are listening, this can be anyone. And it's a, it's unfortunate. I mean, I mean, I, I don't I'm not an expert to give advice, you know, but but the way I look at it, if I don't vibe with you well, I mean, I shouldn't be with you. And if I see the signs and you're right, I mean. The signs were there, then you kind of try to compensate to see like the good, you know, so the bad, and you chose that, you know, there was more good than bad, and you accepted it. Then you have a child, you know, in, in, in the process. And now that's the other thing. When you have kids, you know, a lot of families stay together because of their children, yeah. regardless of the relationship. And it is it is a difficult thing. I mean, divorce 
exist for a good reasons to sometimes you know separate you know the the you know the two parties so there's no stuff and the kids can still have you know access to both parents at all times right. of course if you did it in a nice amicably you know situation things can be open for both so there's a lot of ways to do it to deal but it doesn't always work you know in that way in your case so sad to hear that you i was gonna ask you if you had kids you know as as a mother yourself being going through what you've gone through when you were younger and you did have a child that's beautiful and and I'm assuming now he's gone and he's he's on his own to college, right? Yeah. Am I correct? Right. Yeah. But, well, but, but he's the, graduated already. He's doing and he's very he's doing very well. Um, I my only regret is that I feel like he is so mature and so he almost his personality is almost too even. He does not react, but not even joyfully. He doesn't react negatively or positively. He's just kind of your very even Steven and very diplomatic between me and his dad, which I appreciate. But, um, you know, I could tell when he stopped smiling and stopped being a kid because he was dealing with some grown up serious stuff at home. And I wish that I had had that. It wasn't that I wasn't strong. I was faithful. I felt that. I knew what I was getting into and that I had to try and hope and pray and wish and try to do all the, you know, if I can change, if I can do this, things will be better. And it just, it was never going to be, but he is doing very well as unscathed as a person can be coming out of it. Um, I am glad. I don't know if he's just lucky, if I got lucky, whatever, but um, he's doing okay. And he does have a relationship with his dad. Um, because like you said, that's his dad, and, and he he is very aware of who his father is. But I think he feels almost protective over his dad, and and he's even said, you know, I'm I'm remarried to a longtime friend now, and he's like, well, you know, you have your husband, but who does dad have? He needs somebody on his side. So I feel like my son has kind of taken that caretaker role for his dad, which he shouldn't, but. He's doing well, and that's what matters. He's doing well. Well, I mean, as a mother, you 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 feel good about your son, and and he's out. Yeah. That's good. And by the way, you're right. I mean, again, your story is is a story of millions, and you're not. You know, this is a unique situation for you, but there it repeats itself. You know, over and over, and oh, people over. Are, are having the same problem all over the place. And the sad thing, yeah. if if just hearing you for the last hour plus, is that it started with your parents. And then he went into you and now you're a kid. Now imagine your son and family and things and then their kids. You know, there's always an impact and it's a ripple effect that can continue mentally and physically, you know, affecting someone. He might not see it, but you're right. Like you said, he's even. His emotions are, you know, closed because he is unable to really be himself. That can also be an effect on things. So, so we don't know the, the type of level of damage that can happen from these types of pressures and stresses and they can they can really have a, a serious impact on anyone and you're right sometimes because of one situation you're right into a different situation thinking it's a good situation because you just want to you know save your life and then you just fall from like you go from fire to to ice and you can just equally die in ice as well you know so, yeah. so it's it's dangerous and and you know but it is real folks if you're watching or listening uh you know see the signs know the signs and you know don't just it, it's it's very difficult or seek help early on don't let it you know linger where you're literally are caught up in it and 
Yes, I mean, I know the system, the authorities did not, in your case, help, you know, at best, but sometimes they do in cases that sometimes we've heard. Sometimes they do. Yeah, some yes. cases they work. You never know how it works, but, but you know, you just don't allow it. And, of course, having, you know, a support system and people that are in, you know, always around you can be also a deterrent from these things. Of course, it doesn't protect you within your home, and there's nothing that you can do. It's really you and them. And it, it is, it is. I mean, this world is just, there's so much stuff in it and it's, it's sad, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, we got to deal with it. I mean, sadly you had to endure this. It's not like you picked, you know, this battle from the beginning, you were put into a world with, with the situation. You, you handled it the best you could in time. And, you know, the good news is now you're free. Now, now you did something, yeah. not only you're taking this on the road by, by helping and trying to guide the people and giving people awareness, yeah. but also you wrote a book and, and your book is gasping for air. The strength, uh, strangle, stranglehold. stranglehold of narcissistic abuse. I mean, that's pretty, that's a big, <laughs> that's a pretty powerful I know, book. It's a lot. It's a mouthful, but it yeah, it covers that 25 year relationship and just really delves into, you know, I, I am very, very raw and open in this book. You know, everything that was going on in my mind, in my body, every thought I had while I was in that situation, and some of it isn't nice. And, you know, it takes two to create a dynamic. Um, but I think a lot of people have related to it. And I've been, you know, the, the real point of it was just expressing to people, you know, a few things that there is a mind-body connection. You're going to have physical reactions. And for me, it, did, it it wasn't good. I have to live with stuff the rest of my life. But since being out of it, it's like miraculously. Within a month of him being gone and, and, and no more stuff happening, I was good. And I'm doing really, really well. But you said it perfectly. And that's always my advice is, it's not so much about warning signs and red flags. It's about how you feel. If your gut is just, if you are not clicking with somebody, don't. Don't tolerate it. Don't enable it. Don't excuse it. If it does not feel right to you, don't force it. We try so hard in these relationships to force stuff and, and it's just not meant to be. In my case, I think it was, I had to go through it all so that I could come out here and help other people and relate to them and help them. But yes, definitely um, the book is out there. And there's also, you know, a blog on my website, social media, Facebook and Instagram, where people can see stuff. I post content every day to help people heal, to help people laugh about their situation. But I also post some resources because that's the one thing I want people to take away. If you are in a situation the one mistake that I made that would have helped me and that will help anyone is to make a report. You don't have to call 911. You can even go the next day or a week later and make a report that nobody will come knocking on your door. They won't even know about it, but file that report so there is a paper trail. Oh, and thank you, Beck, because I mean, as you said, keyword resources and 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 then again, we are a resource network, and really, the yeah. idea is that not only we bring the information, but also the resource. 
And sometimes that's all people need, like, you know, how to do, yeah. what to do, where and who do we contact. And that's important. Your book does have all that, you know, element in it. Yeah. And hopefully that people can benefit to your point, your social and all the, 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 the interactions you have lead to the same thing. And I'm sure there's other women out there, maybe even men actually that can, that can use the, 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 the help. And maybe just, again, sometimes we learn from other people's mistakes and, you know, lessons in life. And it can help us prevent, and maybe even not even us. Maybe it's too late for us, but we can teach others what right. not to do in in the future, even not next generation. Because this thing is not; it's a it's just going to continue as long as humans exist. Problems are going to happen, right? Oh, it's yeah. a tough it's a tough world that we live in, unfortunately. But it's sad. But so so I have a question for you now. Now that you you cleared, is there any relationship that is in 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 the words for you, or or that's it? You're done with relationships because no. I'm remarried, actually. It's okay. I never thought in a million years I had no intention of it. I was going to go be alone like most people do in my situation and just never again. Um, but somebody that I knew for a long time, I actually knew his family for, gosh, probably 16 or 17 years just kind of came along and, and, you know, he helped me through everything and, and he was, you know, made his feelings known. And I said, no, sir, thank you for the compliment, but no, sir, I'm good. <laughs> I got enough going on, but he stayed by my side and, and just, it, it's actually amazing just out of this beautiful friendship that we had. He's just my person and, and we we're married and it's amazing. And, and, the, the great thing about it, and, and what I also want people to know, I never thought I was capable of a healthy romantic. I thought, oh, I'm broken, I'm damaged, all these things. And, you know, I'm scuffed up a little bit, but, you know, I'm able to have this really great marriage with this man. And, and it's taken some healing and some work on my part, and it's taken some patience and understanding on his, but... You know, like we keep saying, it clicked. It just, it, it was almost too easy. And I'm glad I gave it a shot. Oh, it's, you know, it's, it's been great. I guess plutonic friends do come handy. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, I don't know if people agree or not, but, but you know, there's always someone, some, you know, male or female that are lingering somewhere, right? You know, but, but as long as they're supportive, you know, maybe that's yeah. what it is. But here's the good news. Good news is that, and for everyone listening, you know, despite all the hardship that you've experienced, you know, there's still hope that you can still live a better life and healthier life yeah. and happier life, which in this case you are. And that's actually the other thing, because a lot of people will probably just like, as you said, I was thinking that this is it. I'm just going to live alone. You don't have this as <laughs> yeah. too. You know, you're still young. You can still have a beautiful life ahead. And, yeah. you know, maybe even other children, you never know. I mean, it's just a lot uh -huh. of things. Well, I'm I'm not asking. <laughs> yeah. First but, people, maybe. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean. So so again, some people would still want to have kids. But the yeah. idea is that you know it is an important piece to to realize that you know again after rain and you know hardship, there's always ease and you know nice you know sunshine, and there's always that. So don't lose hope, folks. You know uh, you know hope is 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 a uh, powerful is as powerful as it gets. I mean, you know, try to avoid dilemmas in life and things like that. But again, we can do the best we can. We're still a human. We still can make mistakes and get caught up in situations that we don't even want or plan to, but it happens. But in this case, you know, it is a good, you know, 
ending, you know, of the story, at least, you know, so far, I, I hope that it stays <laughs> that way. And I hope that this this relationship will, will remain as it is and continuously, you know, in a positive way. I mean, he's certainly, you know, happy because I think you're happy with him and, and yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's different. And, you know, I guess he understood this because he's been there for a minute uh, and, you know, and just seeing all the, the things that you've gone through, yes. but he was in the shadows and I'm sure he was not very, because if you're telling me this person was narcissistic, you know, your platonic friend would, would be a little bit remote because he can't be too close. Otherwise, <laughs> you're getting yeah. the, the fire squad there. So <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. But it's Are nice you, to know that there were people that did notice and there were people watching out that I didn't know about. So, you know, it all worked out well. Well, that's that's idea. I mean, I, there is nothing that's better than a good, happy, you know, and a story um, of difficult <laughs> and, you know, and, and really it's what it is. And in this case, we do have that. So, I mean, we've we've taken the people into a very, you know, gruesome, you know, dark, you know, episode. <laughs> but then we we kind of lighten, you know, the, the mood that, you know, we can lighten up the mood at the end of the, yeah. the show here. So that's always a good way, you know, to 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 close. But so so the book is available. I'm assuming in in Amazon everywhere where the books are are sold. Everywhere where the books are sold. Yeah. Yep. All right. And yeah, I mean, it, listen, it's it's. I have to tell you, I mean, it, thank you for the work you do because thank not everybody you. is actually. You, there are thousands, if not millions, of people that have endured this, and not all of them have come up to do the work you do because they just don't want to do it, deal with it. But you are facing it in a way that is a good, healthy place. You know, I think most of yeah. therapists will tell you it's a good thing. You're talking about it more and more to get it out of the system. And you actually put it in a book, which means it's all out. And that's the other thing. You don't hold things in. You got to let them out. And you've done all those things. And again, I'm, as I said, I'm not an expert, but I've had enough discussions to know a few tricks here and there. And it's always good to talk about things and get it out of your system. Yeah. Uh, you know, you discharge all that negative vibe and frequency and you did that. And not only that, now you're also doing something positive and you know resourceful for others there's there is some you know real i guess satisfaction to that and you know obviously there's a reward you know that comes with that feeling right so so your your i guess your hardship now is causing some peace to others and you know that's that's what it is you're the martyr <laughs> you know you you sacrifice exactly. you know, for the rest but 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 you know it's not like you planned it that way but it worked out you know at the end and so that's what we would like to hear well listen um any we're coming to the end of the show so any words of wisdom to close you know our show today you know for our audiences what would you tell them you know i just think it the biggest thing that i have learned is it's okay to be who you are you know you're not going to be for everybody not even your mother sometimes or some of your family maybe not even for the person you're married to you might be too much for some not enough for others but you're just right for the people that will come into your life who love you. So just don't force things. Um, if you have to force it, it, it's probably not a good idea. It's probably not worth pursuing. So just be you. It's okay to be whoever you are, no matter what your strengths and weaknesses, you're perfect exactly as you are. You have it, folks. Perfect, you know, uh, you know, close up, you know, for the show here. So thank you so much, Dana, for being with us and for really sharing your story and, and your resources and your information. And definitely I will have the link of your website in the description of the show so people can actually connect with you directly. And of course, then they can take it from there in social and so on and so forth. And yes, if, you know, you guys want to read the book, you know, it may be a great way to, you know, to learn. And uh, I'm sure it's going to be 
entertaining a way and and it's a suspenseful yeah. book i mean it, it, it's it's like one of those uh I got the Christie's, you know, system, you know, <laughs> where you like, there's, yeah. there's a lot of, you know, crazy stuff going on there. I mean, no murder, thank God, but, but there is more of, of that, you know, I'm sure the way you described it, there's plenty of stuff that is, you know, a lot oh, more yeah. difficult to read, you know, what? not difficult to hear, but maybe like reading it would be like emotional and, and drives people into really excitement. So there's yeah. exciting stuff in there. So yeah, do check the book out, you know, and, and certainly, you know, uh, uh, folks, if you know someone who's suffering stuff, Try to lend a hand. You know, it's always an important thing. Uh, sometimes they can't speak, but if you can't speak, do so. You never know who you can save, you know, and um, that's that's always something you can do. And or, I mean, whatever you can do, at least, you know, give the resources. That's all I have to say. Um, all right. Well, so, Dana, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this discussion and exchange. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot myself and uh, definitely something that that we can help our people and audiences and listeners everywhere in the world and by the way this is worldwide you know folks so not just in the states these things happen anywhere everywhere yeah. on this this blue planet of ours <laughs> you know you can all you know uh, know someone that that may be going through this and maybe you can help them that being said i'm hurricane h this is the end of the show we'll be talking soon new day new show new topic new guests <laughs>